This is the City of Refuge, Thomaston, Georgia, Sunday morning podcast. The following is a live recorded sermon by Pastor Jeff Deal. We're going to talk for just a few minutes again this morning from the book of First John, moving over to chapter 3 this time. And continuing to focus on the word of, little two-letter word, O-F, of, and what it means to be a citizen of the kingdom and what the contrast between the life in the kingdom and life in the world looks like or life according to the principles of the kingdom versus the principles of the world. And last week I shared with you from chapter 2 some good information and used my friend Chuck who passed away few days ago as a, an example of what it looks like to be of the kingdom lived out practically on a day-to-day basis but today we're flipping over to first John chapter 3 going to read a few verses starting at verse 11 <clears throat> and I've got two or three things to point out to you John says very truly I tell you we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen Are we in the right place? Uh, that's John. We need First John. Just give him a second to get there. I was thinking that don't sound right. I'm, that sounds a little off from what I've been reading this week. All right. For this is the message you heard from the beginning we should love one another do not be like cain who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother so let's pause for a second just to contemplate a couple of things here before we move on first of all there's this powerful word that shows up in verse 11 it's the word love and i feel kind of um inadequate in talking about that and because it's a very deep and complex word and idea but secondly because it's just been preached to death and taught to death and written on to death and you'd think that pretty much anything you could say about love has already been said in terms of God's love and and what all that means Uh, We were talking yesterday about Francis Chan, and his most popular book is called Crazy Love. That's just one example of books, works, sermons, lessons, whatever, songs that focus on the love of God and our supposed or our, what should be our love for God and our love for each other. But we have to consider it if we're going to talk about being of the kingdom. We can't pass over it in the book of 1 John or anywhere else because it's the heart and soul of what it's all about. The gospel starts with love. What verse do we use if somebody says, what's the core of the gospel of Jesus Christ? What, where are you going to start? You're going to start with the same verse that I mentioned in my prayer right John 3 16 which says for God so loved the world that he gave Um, it starts with love it's you know God didn't create people 
just to have toys to play with. He created people, and he had this deep father-child affection, love, loyalty, sentiment for those people. Just because, listen now, just because they disobeyed him does not mean that he stopped loving them, right? And notice that John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world. We've, we've been talking about the contrast between the kingdom and the world and those ideologies and which one is right and good and wholesome and pure and godly and which one is not. But we also talked a couple weeks ago about the different definitions of world. World can mean the planet. World can mean the population that lives on the planet. And world can mean the spiritual kingdom of darkness. In this case, God so loved the world, the definition you would choose there is God loves the population that inhabits the world. So we're believers, we're in church, we're involved in worship, we are familiar somewhat with the Word, living our lives, I hope, in obedience as followers of Jesus Christ. But I have to tell you that God doesn't love us any more than he loves the most evil, vile person on the planet. It's not about a separation of who God loves and who God doesn't love. God loves everybody. That has always been the case, and it always will be the case. It's the case right now. God loves all people. I think sometimes we veer a little bit off of the straight and narrow pathway when we start to pick and choose who we are going to love and not love. If God loves all people, then God's people must love all people. So there cannot be a category of people that I don't love. There are plenty of categories of people that I don't agree with their lifestyle, that I'm saddened. My heart is grieved by their, the error of their ways, the error of their thinking. If it's godless, if it's off base from his word and his truth, I'm not going to like or love what they do, how they live, but I cannot despise them. We have a responsibility to love all people. They are our brothers and sisters, and that sets the stage for the next part of the passage that we're reading here. It says, do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. Listen. Who belonged to the evil one. It's not that Cain belonged to the evil one when he was born. It's not that he was predestined to be evil. Cain moved into the realm of what's evil when he responded the wrong way to God's correction. That's how you get in the land of the evil. 
is when you become aware, you're made aware of the truth, a knowledge of God, and you reject, you respond to it the wrong way. You become a disobedient child, and disobedience is evil. So Cain actually was loved as much by God as Abel was, as his parents Adam and Eve were, as any human being that was ever going to exist after them would. But he moved into the realm of evil when he disobeyed. He started that progression when God chastised him, corrected him on the sacrifice that he brought. And God makes a comparison between the sacrifice he brought and the sacrifice his brother brought. And, and this is a good lesson for some of us. Because grudges are evil. Unforgiveness is evil. Bitterness and resentment are evil. They are born right out of the heart of Satan, and they are at their core evil. And when God points out simply to Cain that your sacrifice was not up to standard like your brother's was, he had a choice. And what he should have done was repented and made a determination that starting with the very next sacrifice, he was going to get it right. That's choice number one. He did not make that choice. His other choice was to reject what God was saying to him and to allow a jealousy to rise up in him toward his brother. Anybody known any human relationship situations that have ever looked kind of like that? And it's tragic. It's tragic because it robs us of beautiful human relationships. It robs us of family love and commitment and devotion. And we allow those evil elements of jealousy and bitterness and resentment to rise up. This was what started the progression of Cain toward evil. And then it culminates when he becomes dark in his mind and in his heart. He allows that progression to continue on and go to the point where it settles in him a very dark and ugly spirit. And it's a murderous spirit and it's the first act of violence, the first act of war, the first act of bloodshed, one human being on another ever in the history of mankind. And it launched this progression of evil, of hatred, of jealousy, of bitterness, of resentment, of war, of violence, of bloodshed among all mankind. That's where it started. With one, <clears throat> excuse me, one brother exercising violence and bloodshed and murder against his own blood kin. John says, do not be like Cain, 
who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. And, and John is not talking about the sacrifice. If you go back and read the story in Genesis of when Cain and Abel brought their sacrifices, there is no mention that Cain's sacrifice was evil. It just wasn't exactly what God asked for. It, there was a chance for a learning curve here. There was a chance to learn a lesson out of it. All Cain had to do was acknowledge, this is not what it should have been. I repent. I'm going to get it right next time. And the favor of God would have remained on him. But he murdered his brother. The, the evil actions were when he rejected the counsel of God, when he chose jealousy and bitterness. Abel, on the other hand, maintained his position and was pleasing in the sight of God because of his loyalty, his devotion, his commitment to the right sacrifices. Verse 13, do not be surprised, my brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. I've got to pause again. I can't read six verses of Scripture without just getting hung up everywhere. Do not be surprised if the world hates you. Are you taken off guard at all by the increasing ugly sentiment toward God and faith and church that's happening in our world and now more than ever right here in America? Well, I'll tell you that it's not a good thing. I'll tell you that I'm not happy about it. I don't think you're happy about it. I'll tell you I, 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 think I am concerned I'm not a worrier because worry is a sin, but I get concerned a little bit about what it'll look like for my grandchildren on down the road. Right? That's okay. I pray about that. I pray for them. I pray that they will be lights in a very dark place. But none of this should take us by surprise. Why would it? Why would it take us by surprise since the beginning of time? The enemy has been after God's people. He's been willing to use any trick, ploy, trap, deception that he can to destroy God's people. Why would it take us by surprise now? He says, the world hates you and it should not surprise you. We live, if we are kingdom sons and daughters, in a place that stands in a position of war against the kingdom of darkness. And when you go to war against an enemy, there's a pretty good chance that you don't like that enemy, or at least you shouldn't. It's sort of the nature of being enemies, right? Is that you don't align with each other. You don't like each other. You don't have the same value system. You're not going to be surprised when your enemy comes and attacks you, right? You know, when 9-11 happened, it shocked us all. And you are going to be surprised for sure when you get that kind of news. But at the heart and soul of it, at the core of it, it should not surprise us 
that people who hate us, that people for, who for decades before 9-11 happened had declared that they were going to do it, people who had declared openly and freely for many, many years that they wanted to see American blood run waist-deep in American streets. Why would we be surprised when it happens? It was only a matter of them plotting and planning and figuring out the best way to do it. The world hates the kingdom of God. That's never going to change. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. We'll get back to that. This is how we know. Next screen. What love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. All right, let me give you three quick pieces of truth that you can take with you. Number one, and we talked about the word love, and this word devotion that I'm going to use is closely equated with the word love. So when I say devotion, you can know that love is at the core of that word devotion. Number one is our devotion to God. It starts with that. So I want to give you strong advice this morning. If you don't love God, forget about trying to love other people. If, I mean, you may have some love for family members, for close friends or whatever. I'm not saying that it's impossible for you to love anybody. But if you want to get to the place that John is talking about, where it's a deep and abiding love for all people, it's the kind of love that God has for people, not just a human emotion that we can pick and choose who we're going to love. You see the instruction, you know it's possible, but you don't seem to be able to get there. Well, I can tell you that if you're having trouble loving people, then you've got an issue in your love for God. Stop worrying about the issue of loving people and deal with your issue of loving God because when you get that issue of loving God fixed, the love for people is going to flow right out of that. It always starts with your own personal relationship and your own personal devotion to God. Everything else, everything we're challenged to do, every blessing, every promise, everything in the Scripture flows out of whether or not we as individuals have a deep and abiding devotion for God. All the fruits of the Spirit, all the gifts of the Spirit, all those good and perfect gifts that is mentioned in James that come down from the Father that we have opportunity to embrace, but many of us have not yet discovered them, have not embraced them. Why? Because there's something off in our devotion to God. Our devotion to God is demonstrated by our full obedience to God. There is no such thing as full devotion without full obedience. The way you deepen your devotion to God is by deepening your obedience to the words of God. This is the simple gospel. 
This is the formula for how to get to where we want to be. And so there was the fall. The fall did not mean that God stopped loving people. He developed a formula, a plan for us to continue to live in a relationship with Him. But back in the Old Testament, before the arrival of Christ, before there was a chance to allow His blood to be applied to us and forgive us of our sins, there were requirements. One of the requirements was, now you're going to have to work and labor in the hot sun to be able to survive and to be able to eat. And after that, there can be no compromise. So Cain and Abel are brothers. They are the first children of Adam and Eve. They are born into a world that is a fallen world. They're born into a world that is not perfect like the garden was. And they are required to get out there and to do their due diligence and to work and to make their way through life. And a big part of that was their worship and their sacrifice unto God. And God laid it out right in front of them. This is what I desire and this is what I require in order for you to stay in good standing, in good relationship with me as your creator. And there can be no compromise in it. This is what led to the situation with Cain because he tried to compromise on his sacrifice. It did not work then. It has never worked and it's not going to work for us today. To compromise on what we're willing to sacrifice in our devotion to God. He has set the requirements right in front of us. They're not hard to understand. And there can be no compromise in our obedience to it. It starts with our devotion to God. Number two, devotion to family. <laughs> Some of us have been walking with the, with the Lord for a long time. We've been in church for a long time. But we can't get the family thing right. We just can't get the family thing right. And the family thing is number two, so we have to back up to number one. As I said before, we have to do a close self-evaluation on what is our devotion to God. And then we move on to our obligation, 100% obligation, requirement by God. No compromise requirement by God concerning our devotion to family. In our world today, more than ever, but it's always been like this, it's just it's more magnified right now than it's ever been. Families should be fully devoted to the members of their families. You say, well, my whatever, whatever's done this and that and the other, and I just, you know, so what? So what? I mean, what did Eve do? What did Adam do? What did... <laughs> every human being who came after them do. What, you know, by the time Jesus arrived on the scene in Bethlehem a little over 2,000 years ago, a lot of people had already lived on the earth, right? A lot of people had lived lives of disobedience to God. A lot of people had rejected His truth and His ways. A lot of people had profaned his name, 
had, had lived lifestyles that were all sorts of crazy and messed up and rebellious and heathen. What was God's answer to that? I'm so devoted to you still that I'm going to send my only son to die for you after everything you've done. After all the ways you have messed up, rebelled, lived in disobedience, after all the ways you have ignored my truth and my words, after all the murder and the mayhem and the violence and the bloodshed and the war, you know what my answer is? I'm going to give my son. I'm going to send him to earth to suffer, to die, so that you can have an opportunity to live in relationship with me, to find your spot in my heart, and to spend all of eternity in my presence. Devotion to his family. And he is the model. So, I've, I've been blessed in my family. I mean, the family I grew up in, we didn't have any strife, really. The most strife I can remember having was when uh, my mom brought a clothes basket full of clean laundry in the bedroom one day, and it was mine and Bruce's, and she told us to put our clothes away. She had washed them. She had t taken them off the clothesline, folded them, put them in the basket, brought them in. All we had to do was put them in, put them away. Well, Bruce immediately reaches and grabs a pair of socks out of the basket, and they were my socks. He will say to this day that they were his socks, but he's a liar. They were my socks. And he started putting my socks fresh off the clothesline on his nasty feet. <clears throat> I reached over and snatched the socks. I said, those are my socks. He said, oh, no, they're not. And he got up, and he came, and he took the socks away from me. Well, I knew at that point I wasn't going to get the socks back from him. He was bigger than me, stronger than me. So what I did was picked up a pair of tidy-whitey fruit of the looms out of the basket. And I pitched him across the room. And he was sitting on the edge of the bed putting on my socks. And I watched with exhilaration and horror as they draped right across his head. And he snatched them off his head and jumped up and reaches and grabs a pocket knife off of the dresser and flips it open. And I started backing up, and I backed up till I was out of room because the closet door was behind me. And he came at me with the knife and, and came, I mean, was going to plunge it into me, it looked like. And I went like this, and he stabbed me in the left hand, which was right in front of my heart. And when I say stabbed, it like broke the skin and a little blood, wasn't enough blood to fill a thimble because he didn't have any intention of killing me. He just wanted to teach me a lesson. So he drew back when he got there, right? That's the most strife I ever remember. We had no strife. When Tracy and I started our family, we had a little strife with our oldest child and some different things along the way. But, and there were times when I didn't like what was going on. There was times when I was angry about what was going on. There was times when I, when I reacted wrongly out of what was going on. But I never lost my devotion and my love 
for family. And we never behaved in a way that killed the relationships beyond recovery. And I, I just, it wasn't that I was sitting there deciding this is what we're going to do. I thank God that it went the way it did. But there are a lot of folks who, Christian people, love God, go to church, do all the, those right things, but they're unwilling to just let all the history of, of the family stuff just let it go, you know? Because here, here's the thing, you know, and Tracy sometimes will be carrying on about some bad thing that might happen, <laughs> that she's concerned that it might happen. And I'm like, well, what are, what are you worried about it now for? It hasn't happened. So what you do is you double the misery if it does happen because you worried about it all up until it did happen and then you have to deal with it when it does happen. Me, if they knock on my door one day to give me some bad news, I'm going to be totally shocked and floored in the moment, but I will not have spent any time worrying about it leading up to it when it hasn't even happened yet. So, and after something happens, what good does it do anybody to continue to harbor the anger, the bitterness, the resentment, the unforgiveness and as they say, it's probably hurting me more than the person I'm holding it against, right? Devotion to family. And number three is devotion to the needy. I was handed a note recently. And this is one of the most powerful lessons I've ever learned in my life, and I learned it years ago. The note said, how... Can I effectively, something like this, I'm paraphrasing. How can I effectively love other people if I don't love myself? And, and there are a lot of people who have that thought. There are a lot of people who struggle with that. You know, the challenge of the gospel is that we love people. And that's really what we need to think about because, the, listen, the Scripture to my knowledge, I, I can't think of a single spot, it may be in there, but there's very little, if anything, that has to do with me loving myself. Now, don't get me wrong, I'm not, I'm not saying we shouldn't love ourselves. Of course we should. But I'm saying that if you're going to compare what the Word of God has to say about loving yourself with what the Word of God says about loving God and loving other people, it's going to be a mountain of this and very little of that. Okay? So, here's my answer, generally speaking. Every situation is different and individual. If you struggle to love yourself, okay? If you struggle with Low self-esteem, they call it. Not feeling worth much. Not feeling valuable. Not feeling like you have anything to contribute. You just struggle loving yourself. And your question is, how can I love others if I don't love myself? Well, why don't you just start 
practicing loving others. Just, if you don't feel it, just act like it. If, if you don't have this sense, this emotional sense of love, like is normal towards other people, then just do things that are acts of love. Because there's a process behind this as well. If you begin to act like you love someone, love will start to grow in you for that someone. And listen, if you start to do acts of love and that love for them begins to grow over time do you know what's going to happen there's going to be a transformative work that's going to happen in you and all of a sudden you're going to feel much better about you it's one of those upside down inside out truths that i talk about all the time don't if if you don't love yourself or you don't feel like you love yourself quit trying to make yourself love yourself it's probably not going to happen that way Stop contemplating that question and start contemplating the question, how can I demonstrate love to other people? How can I bless somebody else? How can I enrich someone else's life? I listen to John Maxwell sometimes. John Maxwell's company is publishing my book. I'm pretty excited about that. But I, I was, I, So I listen to him periodically. And his mission in life is simply this. He'll tell you every time you hear him talk practically, my mission is to bring value to other people's lives. You hear that? To bring value to other people's lives. Now I'm going to guess that John Maxwell feels pretty good about himself. But you will never hear him talk about how good he feels about himself. You will never hear him talk about adding value to his own life. You will never hear him talk about how much money he might potentially make off of his next book or his next speaking engagement or how common his name might be in households around the world. You never hear him mention how he can bless or help himself or how he might be able to love himself more. He is always talking about how he can bless and enrich and bring value to the lives of other people. And that will make you very confident in yourself it'll make you feel good about yourself it will cause you to start loving yourself take the eyes off of me put the eyes out there and all of a sudden the eyes of God turn more toward me and my value in God starts to be realized in me day by day Uh, and I'll tell you where this thinking started. It started probably when I was in my 40s when too many people in my life had told me that they were going to leave this church or leave that church, whatever church they were in, because they were not feeling blessed and they were not feeling full and they were not getting what they needed. I didn't know what to tell them at that time. And then all of a sudden one day it's like the Holy Spirit slapped me upside the head and said, tell them this. 
Get up off of your sorry behind and start doing something and blessing other people and demonstrating acts of love to the poor and the needy and whoever's hurting and sick and lonely and afraid. And all of a sudden, you will start to feel very full. And your life will be enriched and your life will exemplify power you've never known before. And you will start to love yourself, not in an ugly kind of a worldly way, but in a real, pure, godly, devotional kind of a way. How do I love myself? I love God and I love other people. Loving myself is just a byproduct, you know? And the more, listen, I may have down days where I, I, I'll walk around the yard sometimes and I'll do something dumb and I'll do a lot of dumb things when it comes to trying to, especially if it's mechanical or putting something together and I have to take stuff back apart and put it together again, then I have to call Anton to come put it together. I'll call myself stupid. I'll say, you idiot, what are you doing? You know, all this kind of stuff. <laughs> and so... We all have our, you know, times when we're not going to feel like we're great. That's not really the point because our definition of loving ourselves is not the world's definition. It's this deep inner abiding love, devotion, because I know that I'm a child of God and I'm living my life in obedience to Him. That's all I got. And I hope you'll take it with you. And I hope that, because I, I feel like almost that the Lord wanted to say something personal to one or two of us this morning or more. And whatever that is for you, if it was anything for you, take it and do something with it. Dig deeper. Meditate on it. Pray over it. Dig around in the Scriptures and see what else you can find about it. And your life will become more and more meaningful and enriched. And you'll have more of a drive to bless those around you. Father, you're good to us. You teach us always by your spirit. Your word is always true and powerful. And I pray that we'd be challenged by it today, not, not depressed, not knocked down, not frustrated over what we haven't been, but just to, to pick it up from now. Say yes to whatever you're saying. Say yes to whatever you're doing. Have a deep, deep, deep devotion to you have a really deep devotion to our families, have a really, really deep devotion to the needy, and then you're going to accomplish all that great transformative work in us. pray you would take us in your blessings of peace and power and provision and protection, that all things would work together for the good of your people and for your glory. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen.